Bible to Luke chapter 6. I want to preach this morning on God takes care of the giver. God takes care of the giver. Luke chapter 6, while you're turning there, I want to introduce my grand new grandbaby. Born at 7.05 this morning our time. Isn't she adorable? Isn't she gorgeous? So for all of you Europeans, she's 6.8 pounds, which means she's 3 kilos or half a stone, whichever one you want to pick by. 19 and a half inches long and no name yet. But uh, goodness, just beautiful. So, so Nita got to be in the hospital, got to be in the delivery room and was sending pictures all the time. She says, now don't, don't show anything except this one, so it's okay. But uh, I am so delighted, and Sharon is fine, and said it was the best, easiest delivery so far. Amen. So, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. All right, let's get back in here. Luke chapter 6, please. Luke chapter 6. And I said 646, it's not 46, it is 38. <clears throat> Luke 638. Luke 638. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, you measure out with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, money. That's a scary word. It's scary because everything and everybody today is out to get and take as much of our money away as possible. From water bills, to taxes, to fees, to charities, everybody wants their pound of flesh. The fact is, Things cost money. Now, ignore the politician who says you're entitled to so much. What he's trying to do is buy your vote using other people's money, and that is wrong. We have to pay our bills. We have to be responsible with our money. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to earn money, and we're supposed to save money. And by the way, we're supposed to support our church financially. So, when I start talking about giving our money, our tithe, and our faith promise, I'm actually talking about part of our worship. I try to get everybody to sing, don't I? I try to tell everybody, go ahead and sing. Well, that's part of worship, isn't it? But did you know, giving is part of worship as well. God doesn't need your money, though. Don't think that God's poor. Don't think that God is running out of money. See, he's not trillions and trillions of euros in debt like we are. Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Somebody said, He not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, He owns the thousand hills. So, God's not looking for your money because He needs your money. We're talking about what we need, and what we need is to learn how to manage our money as Christians so that we can be more than just greedy, selfish takers and actually be converted into givers. So, Father, we bow before you right now and ask that you change our hearts. Release the grip that we have on that part of our life that we really think too much about and worry too much about. 
That's our money. I pray, God, we would learn that we have money, not for ourselves, but as Christians, for others. And the greatest heart change in this room, next to being saved, the second greatest will be the heart of a giver. Give me that heart. Give us all that kind of a heart, Lord. Because your word can still change. I pray that it works very well this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by way of background to the book of Philippians, I need you to go to the book of Philippians. Over to the right, as you turn there, Paul is writing to one of his favorite churches. He had always been doing the unusual things. If you had met Paul, his plan for the day would have blown you away. He wasn't planning on going shopping. He wasn't planning on what program he was going to record to watch later that night. He wasn't planning on, on um, uh, you know, on uh, uh, some hobby or some things. None of those things are in themselves wrong, but he was doing the unusual things. Don't answer that. He was going into the next town, and there he would be preaching and teaching the gospel. He would be starting churches. He would be uh, uh, discussing and debating and, and taking people, reasoning through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. He did the hard things. Uh, that meant that he sometimes was rejected. As a matter of fact, a lot of times he was rejected. Sometimes he went away from a city with nobody saved. Sometimes he'd go into a town and go out of the town, have to knock the dust off his feet. Sometimes have intense dis discouragement. Sometimes have great encouragement. But he was doing the hard things. And he was doing it without any regular income. He didn't, he didn't have a, a retirement fund. He didn't have a, a large bank account that earned an interest for him to live off of. He basically had almost no income. He constantly experienced hard times. That was the nature of his life. He did work a job on the side, making tents. So he was, he was what they call a tent maker. That meant that, that he would sit and over a period of weeks, if not more than a month, it would take him to personally make the side panels, the tops, the, uh, the, uh, the flaps, the, the, uh, 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 he would be, um, um, looping all of the ropes and everything. He would have that tent made and he would sell it after so much work. He'd get a bit of pay and he'd be able to go for another month before he'd have to make another one. He worked as a tent maker on the side. In Acts chapter 18, it says that Paul found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy. He had his wife Priscilla with him. And because he, Paul, was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for their occupation was being tent makers. So he got along and, you know, like builders like to hang out with builders, fishermen like to hang out with fishermen. He met some other tent makers. Now, why did, why did he do all that? Why did he go without regular income, experience hard times, work a job? It was so that he could preach for free. So he could go into a town and never have to charge a cover charge. Never have to charge an entrance fee. Never have to charge anything. He was trying to teach Christians how to give their lives without ever taking anything back. So when we take this and we, 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 we learn from this, 
we'll learn, as we go through Philippians, that when you step out and you start to be a giver, let me tell you, you won't have the money to give. You won't have the wisdom to know who to give to. You just start giving, you just start meeting needs, and you start to trust that God takes care of the giver. That's what we're going to learn this morning. Now, go to start there in verse 9. Paul is our example. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard, and watch these words, and seen in me. What's the next word? Do. What you've seen me do, you do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Now, what a way to live. See, Paul was not mainly a preacher of the gospel. He was a liver of the gospel. Do you understand that word? He lived what he preached. He lived the way Jesus lived. He loved people the way Jesus loved. Paul was a Christian in actions as much as in beliefs. Now, you have to believe some things. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus died for you. You have to believe that he was buried and rose again, just like the Bible says. You have to have some beliefs to be a Christian. You understand that? But that's not all you need. Because beliefs don't make a Christian. Your life does. At least it shows you're a Christian. It proves that Christ is in you. So Paul's an example of what it means to be a Christian. And he, he was an example so that he could encourage others to watch him and copy his way of life. You know, we forget that people are watching us. People watch what time we come in. Do we come in late or do we come in early? Is it important to you or is it just, well, I'll get there when I get there? People are watching you. People watch whether you make a way to get back there to the offering box to put your offering in. People, you say, people shouldn't be watching, but they do. People watch whether you're fighting over, is it going to be a fiver or a tenner? You know, people watch you. Paul said, watch away. What you see me do, you do. He was the example. And that's what we need to pay attention to. He realized, he believed that the Bible way, living by the Bible is the best way to live. I don't try to improve on it. Why would you improve on God's way? It's definitely different than the world says. The world says, get all you can and can all you get. Store it away, save it away, use it like you want it. I watched a, I saw a, a bumper sticker in America, and it said, uh, retired and spending my children's inheritance. <laughs> Go ahead, it's your money. Do you know, it, it, what kind of kids are they going to have? All they see is selfish parents. See, the Bible way says, give everything away, and you'll be the happiest man in the world. Didn't Jesus say that? If you've got... If, if, if a rich man came, when a rich man came to Jesus, what do I do to add to my wealth in eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, give every penny away. <laughs> he went, <gasps> and he went away sad. And Jesus wasn't being mean. It says Jesus loved him. What was he doing? Trying to take away all the props so that all he had was Jesus. So that all he had, God, Jesus wasn't finding fault with owning money. He found fault with money owning him. 
Bible way is the best way to live, folks. And this is how Paul starts to address this issue of money and giving. He asks us to take a look at the examples that God has given us, whether it's in Scripture or in our church. So, let's look at what the Christians were in, 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 in Philippi. We read verse 9. He says, do what I do, verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, he's sort of saying, okay, here we are, at the last, it's been a while now, but at the last, your care of me hath flourished. What's the next word? Again. He says, good. <laughs> You're back on track. Wherein ye were also careful, you cared, but you lacked opportunity. You see, these Christians in, Cor- in I keep saying Corinth, in Philippi, let me get it right here, these Christians in Philippi had been won to faith by Paul. Paul had gone there, remember, he started, his first convert there in Philippi was Lydia, a seller of purple. She got saved by a riverside. She heard Paul and the other men there as they gathered, they began to pray. And you know, it's really great when you pray, and I've, I've been in some situations, I don't do it very often now, but I've been in some situations where, where I just take my family and I pray out loud at the restaurant. Not because I'm showing off, but because I want to preach the gospel to those who just go, he's praying. And I just say, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for how he died for our sins and was buried and rose again. Thank you that he gave his life for a wretch like me, giving me my family, giving me everything I've got. Thank you for this food. Thank you, God. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why would I pray out loud like that? So that people hear it. So that you not only see an example, not only hear it, but so that people can see and they go, excuse me, and I've had people come up, mainly it was in the States, but I had people come up and say, you've got a great family. It was really impressive to see you pray with him like that. People were watching. What's my point? Paul sat down and began to pray. And believe me, it wasn't, oh God, our Father. Paul began to preach in his praying. And there was Lydia passing by. And she got under the conviction. And she sat down there and listened to them preach. And she got saved. Paul, the first Philippian was this Lydia. After that, Paul got in trouble for preaching and got thrown in prison. Well, the jailer got saved, and all the criminals got saved. Remember that? Woo! Philippi is going to be a great church. <laughs> you imagine I have a church full of criminals, amen? <laughs> you know, Paul, it, 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 was, it, was a, it was a crazy thing to hang around with Paul. Countless others in that little town uh, near the Mediterranean Sea in Greece were being led to Christ by Paul. And Paul taught in the Bible. He stayed there and he taught Lydia in her home. Taught the Philippian jailer in his home. He taught the church. And he helped turn Philippi upside down. That's what Paul did. But sometimes, these Philippians, who had been so helped and so ministered by Paul, they forgot Paul. They forgot that he not only was in jail in Philippi, he'd get in jail in other places. And if it weren't for the other Christians, Paul would have been left alone. And nobody would have even known that Paul was sitting there in jail. Now in, in uh, verse, verse 10, the end of it tells us this. He didn't blame them. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. He's just rejoicing. Wherein 
ye were also careful, and ye lacked what? Opportunity. Now, I like this. Paul could have blamed them. Paul could have blamed them. You know, when you're hungry and you're sitting in jail somewhere and you're cold and you're alone, and those people who are supposed to be your family forget about you, you can get very upset and very bitter. Instead, Paul gave him the benefit of the doubt. He actually, like a Christian should do, somebody treats you wrong, you know what you need to decide? They didn't mean it. Amen. Somebody says something sideways to you and doesn't, doesn't, you know, you know, I don't, I don't want to use an examples. I really do, but I don't. Um, but somebody says something and then it hurts you. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe somebody said something sideways to them and it's just, they're just taking it out on you. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Paul said, I know you were careful. I know you care about me. I'm not doubting your care. You just lacked an opportunity. There was, it just, you just missed an opportunity to try and help me. So he said, had a good attitude, didn't he? I like that. I want that. He blamed the best about it. So Paul, instead, and this is his example, instead of Paul getting bitter in prison, instead of Paul getting upset at those, those stinking, selfish, forgetful Philippians, he said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And he let Paul, let God teach him some things through his times of needs. What do you think God taught Paul about money? You ready? Look, look, um, look at verse 11 and 12. Not that I speak in respect of one. I'm not talking about all of my needs. You ever been around somebody and you say, how you doing? And you regret it? <laughs> 25 minutes later, I didn't know you had that many needs. Paul says, I'm talking about my needs. Not that I'm talking about all that I want and all that I need. For I have what? Oh, you don't, this is not something you just do. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, what's the word? Remember that word. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and still to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Did you know where money starts and ends in the Christian's life? Are you ready? Contentment. You see, if you learn contentment, you'll learn money. You'll learn what God thinks of money. And I'm talking about really content. The proper definition of contentment is contained within limits. It means quiet, undisturbed, having your mind at peace. Here's the greatest part. Satisfied. Paul learned how to be happy with whatever he had. Whether it was a lot or there was a little. Listen to what the Bible says about contentment. Holding your place here is the Philippians. Go back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In verse 14, Luke chapter 3. Here's uh, John the Baptist uh, preaching and some soldiers, some Roman soldiers come up, confront John. Luke chapter 3 and verse 14. And the soldiers likewise, likewise demanded of him, like a soldier would, tell us, mister. Demanded of him, saying, and what shall we do? And he says, what's these three things? He said unto them, do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely. Don't, don't go after somebody because you just don't like them. 
and be content with your wages. Wow. Telling the soldier, take whatever they pay you. Go to 1 Timothy. Now you're in Philippians. Still hold that place. Go to the right from Philippians and find 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 6. By the way, I need to say this. Verse 5 says, speaking of modern preachers. Are you ready? Speaking of the modern church movements and the modern mega churches. Watch what it says there in verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain proves what? That if you've got a lot of money, that proves you are close to God. What does the Bible say? From such, from people who think that money proves you're close to God, that money, if you're driving a new car, if you've got a new job, if you've just got um, a, a raise that allowed you to move by a new house, that proves God's on your side and he's in your pocket. Don't you dare. The Bible says withdraw, run from them. Verse 6, but godliness with what? That's great gain. Godliness with contentment. Go down to verse 8. And having food and raiment. How many of you have food this morning? How many ate breakfast this morning? Oh, come on, put your hands up. How many? All right, all right. How many of you got clothes? How many of you got more than five sets of clothes? Every one of you. Every one of you. You know what? If you've got food in your pantry, and if you've got, you got more, if you've got one suit of clothes, what should you be? According to that verse, verse 8, having food and raiment therewith to be, to be content. I bet every one of us got more than just food and raiment. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation... What do you talk about? <laughs> what, what, do you, what is it like in your house? Some people live for the commercials on the TV. I didn't know I need that. <laughs> Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Ladies, you content with that husband of yours? <laughs> you content with that house you live in? You content with that clunker of a car you're having to drive? Gentlemen, you, con you, you content with your job? You content? And you, uh, are you content? Be content with the things that you have. It's not wrong to work harder. It's not wrong to want to wear a raise. It's wrong to need a raise to be happy. It's wrong for you to need a new house in order for you to be happy. It's wrong for you to have to have a, a, a lot more money so you can go shopping so that you can be happy. That's wrong. You know what real joy is? Being glad for what you got. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you, nor forsake thee. Wow. God fought, caught Paul to be content. Paul learned how to live abased. Now, abased. You hear the word base in there? That means at the lowest. Lower than low. You've never experienced 
like he experienced. Believe me, we're so, we're so pitiful. We think we have a bad day. You're some of the wealthiest people on this planet. You say, I got a little bit of money. You've got more money than 25% of this planet. Paul says, I know what it's like to go weeks without food. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be thrown in jail and forgotten. I have learned how to be a base. And I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to pr- what it's like to feel uh, loved and appreciated and preach to crowds of tens of, uh, and hundreds and thousands and, and watch them get saved. I've seen the, 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 the thrill of, of, of success in the ministry and I've seen the heartache of failure. I, I know what it means to be full and I know what it's like to be hungry. And he says these words back there in Philippians. Back in Philippians now. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 12, he says, I both, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, I've been taught that I need to be willing to suffer. Because that's a Christian life. Christian's life is not one of just mountaintop experiences. How did Paul learn that contentment? Well, God showed it. Look at chapter 4, verse 13 now. I can do it all. I can do all these things through Christ, which strengthens me. Mm. Think about it. Here's a man who knew need. He said, in all things, approving ourselves as a minister of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Paul said, I've been stressed out. I've been, I've been panicking. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. He says later on there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in my necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I have learned that I am strong. Paul remembered that's how Jesus lived. You know, Jesus would walk along and the disciples says, where are, we, where are we sleeping tonight? And he says, I haven't a clue. Now, he said that on purpose. He knew where he was going. He knew what was going to happen. He knew it all. But he looked at the disciples and says, I don't know, the foxes have their holes. Birds have their nests. We're going to find a rock somewhere. They had to learn contentment. You see, Jesus is our example, isn't he? And Paul looked to Jesus Christ and didn't see a wealthy man, didn't see a comfortable man, didn't see a... a um, a well-off man didn't see somebody who was catered to every need. He saw a man who at every turn ministered to others at great expense to himself. He, though rich, became poor, Paul said, that through his poverty we might be rich, not in money, but in life. And Paul remembered how he lived, and he said, I'm going to live the same way, through Christ. What does that mean? Somebody says, through Christ Folks, unless you're in this Bible, and I'll be real clear, if you're not letting this Bible 
pulse through your thoughts and through your heart, if you're not reading this Bible and looking at the life of Jesus Christ and watching Him, you'll never get what I'm about to say. Through Christ means as you watch Him, He inspires you. He motivates you. You sit in awe. I can teach. I was talking to somebody yesterday. I can, I can do my best. I can even start dancing. No, I won't. I can put on a show. I can perform and it do no good. You know what will make the difference? When you see it in the life of Jesus Christ. And I say, be like Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul says, I do, I can do all things through Christ just by watching Him. Secondly, you gotta remember, He lives in me. I mean, we're not just, we're not just hoping for heaven. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. This is not, well, I hope so religion. This is not, well, I'm doing my best. No, heaven's best changed address and moved into my heart, changed my life. He's there. And if I get any accomplishments, because he did it through me. So why don't I trust him? Why don't I let him be my strength? I can do all things. When somebody trashes me and abandons me and hurts me and, and, and draw, drives me down, I can do it. When somebody lifts me up and honors me and takes care of me and meets my needs, I won't let it get to my head. Because Christ is doing it. You understand what I'm saying? This is, this is what Paul is teaching about contentment. It's through Christ. Hmm. Second Corinthians 12, I was reading from there just a moment ago. Jesus said unto me, to, to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul finishes his most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Hey, you know this one, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is, where? Say it again. In me than he that's in the world. You've got to remember that. Through Christ, that's a big statement. What a great scripture to believe. I can do all things through Christ. See, we think, well, I want to go walk on water. You're wasting your time. You know what you need? You need to know how to handle disaster. You need to know how to handle poverty. You need to know how to handle success because most of us don't know how to handle success. <laughs> you know, if anybody got money in this room, you know what happened? You'd move to Spain. I'm going to go get some sun. <laughs> yeah. God didn't give you money so that you could just go and enjoy yourself. Believe me, if you're saved, he's trying to make a giver out of you, not a taker. What a great scripture. Paul could do all things necessary and he could do it with or without money. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it through Christ. How much money did Jesus have? Think about it. He didn't even have two pennies. And he was able to do a lot. And he did it as a man. And he did it as an obedient son. He did it as our example. Do you have to have a lot of money in order to please your wife? Probably not. Now guys, you know, we say, man, my wife's expensive. You probably don't know her that well. Your wife's not expensive. Your attitude is. Here, honey, take the checkbook. Just leave me alone. Yeah, I know how it is. You can do a lot of things with or without money through Christ. You know, you spend some more time in prayer than complaining. I believe you do much better. Would you agree? As long as Paul had the Savior. As long as he had the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. What kind of closeness is that? As a sheep to the shepherd. When you have that presence and you know he's there and you, you sense he's, he's leading and you know the peace that passes understanding and you sense the love of God because of him, nothing else matters. Nothing else does. If you've got the Savior, if you've got the presence of Christ, you can do it too. Now, Paul was just glad for the care of the Philippians Christians. Look at verse 14. He goes on and he says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, no other church, communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He was shocked. He said, you guys were the only ones who ever asked me how I was doing. You ever asked me, do I have any money? You ever, you ever, you were the only ones who said, have you eaten anything today? Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again and again and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Let me talk there for a minute. Paul was just glad for their care. It brought such joy to his heart that they cared. Didn't matter any, the money that he, they gave. Didn't matter it was a lot or a little. Didn't matter. Nothing mattered to Paul except they're becoming givers again. It blessed his heart that a church moved from being, I'm going to church. Can't wait to go home. On Sunday again, I'm going to church. I'm going home. That's not what church is all about. You know why? You, if you're saved, you know why you come here? To give, to serve, to do. I didn't get anything out of church today. You know, if you come to church only to get, and sometimes you need, just, just preach, pastor. Just preach. I'm really, I'm not even on this planet. Get me right. That's good. Amen. But don't be like that all the time. Get to the place where when you come in, you say, Pastor, what can I do? Where's the broom? Can I help with the tea? Can I set out the, uh, the, uh, um, the hymnals? Pastor, have you prayed enough? Can, can we pray? Can we pray for some souls to come in? Can we pray for somebody to get saved? If you come in to give, boy, you will bless this pastor. If you, if I, and by the way, I'm not even talking about money yet. I'm talking about the real important stuff. You. Are you willing to... Is, is, is just becoming a giving church is the goal of any pastor. Now, this guy Epaphroditus, I don't know if this is what he looked like. I just thought, when I thought of Epaphroditus, he looked like him. Okay, so that's it. But when Epaphroditus came, it's just one guy. Paul's in jail. This guy comes in, the jailer lets him in. I'm telling you, and, and all, all that Epaphroditus had was, was a little bag of money that had been collected from that poor church in Philippi. Paul wept and he just said, they're givers again. He didn't care that, that the money was for him or for anybody else. He just said, your, your care, your care has flourished again. The kind of Christians that the Philippians were coming, and believe me, you can make a lot of theological mistakes. You can make a lot of marriage mistakes. You can make a lot of child training mistakes. You can make a lot of mistakes on the job. All of that can be made up for if you care. 
people can tell that you have a heart and that you just love people. You just want to be a blessing. You just want to serve. You just you hear of a need and you just run at it. You just say, I don't know how I'm going to take. I can help. I don't know what I can do. I'm 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 working two jobs. I've I've got I've got uh, 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 so many fees and school bills and things like this. But I want to bless. Then you're the happiest person in this room. And that's the kind of church we need. Because by the way, God keeps records. Look at verse 18 now. All right, verse 17. Not because I desire a gift. He wasn't looking for money from them. But I desire, and he uses these words because it was in his day, everything was agriculture. Everything was planting and harvesting. He says, because I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's talking about the, the end. He's talking about after all that you've done, and, and, and like compared to planting, and watering and weeding, and then up pops this tree, and you get the most beautiful apples, or you get the most amazing oranges, or whatever the fruit is. He says, I want that fruit to be for you. And the fruit of a giving and a loving and a caring person is beyond compare. Because God takes notice. God keeps records. I may not know all that goes on, and some of you have no idea what goes on, putting together the tea table. I may not know all the, the, the time that goes into uh, uh, preparing for, and I got an idea because I have done it for so many years, but all that Graham has put into in teaching Sunday school or the, all the work that Tony has put into. I mean, when, he, when he's preparing to teach and preach in RU, we don't see him for days. All that time, I couldn't honor him like he deserves. God's watching. God's keeping records. God will never owe any man anything. Whatever you do for the Lord, he's keeping records of. By the way, everything that the Philippians were doing for Paul, they weren't doing for Paul. Ultimately, it was the best thing for them because they were laying up treasures in. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So everything they were doing, they were actually, they were going to discover one day there were rewards and treasures in heaven just because they were a blessing. It was more about that later. Let me try to wrap this up. Verse 18. And by the way, let me say this. This was not easy for the Philippians. Verse 18 Paul's very careful to say, I already have all. Now he's sitting in jail. <laughs> he's basically, most of his, his helpers, uh, uh, Titus and Timothy and uh, Demas and all these guys who used to hang around are, are gone. But he has, he's, at this point, he's able to say, I have all and abound. I am full. Just having received of Aphroditus the things which he sent from you, which were sent from you. And he says, 
just this, this gift fills my life. I don't need anything more. And they are an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, this was, their gift was a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice. They didn't have any money. These Philippian Christians were not wealthy. They, were, they didn't even own farms. These were the workers of the farms. These are people who worked all day and they worked for the boss and they went home and after a week they got a few bob, but the boss made all of the money. The, uh, the owner went away and had the parties and had all of the wealth. And these were the, the, just the, the workers. It was a sacrifice for them to give. They were in deep poverty. They had their own problems. They had their bills, their taxes, their fees. So every hard earned penny they gave was offered to God. It was a gift to God. It wasn't to Paul. As Paul was reminded when he says, it was a wonderful sacrifice you gave. And he praised God for the giving. And said, God is pleased. Paul personally was so blessed by their giving, just knowing that they gave. It was like the sweetest smell you can imagine. The sweetest smell I can imagine is a cup of good coffee. <laughs> when, um, when all you smelled is the inside of a prison wall, you have no toilet, you have dead rats around you, you have bugs and vermin and worms, and you have body odor you haven't washed in weeks if not months, and this gift comes in out of love for, by those Philippians for Paul. It says, that smells so good. Can you imagine that? Can you put yourself in his place and realize God smelled it too? It just blessed God to watch the Philippians give. That's why, I promise, that's why Paul promises that God will take good care of the giver. Verse 19 but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. This is not a promise for every believer. It's only for those who learn contentment for what they have so that they can start to give away their money. So they can start to meet the needs of people around them, just like Jesus did. So they can start to take care of their church. There's a big thing going on in Christianity that's killing Christianity. People are spending more time on the God channel than they are in front of their Bible. And they're sending more money to these far away televangelists and stuff than take care of their local church. And it's wrong. It's absolutely a robbery. God takes care of the giver who says, you know, I got saved in this church. I get fed in this church. I get to serve in this church. This is where my money belongs. Amen. God will owe no man. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, just before Matthew. The book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That was the temple in that day. That there may be meat in my house. Prove me now therewith, herewith, 
saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What's he saying? You give, I'll make sure it's given back to you. Now probably he's not going to, you give 10 euros, you're not going to find a miraculous 10 euros in your pocket. That's not how he does it. Matter of fact, I wouldn't want him to do that because then I haven't given anything. But if I give what's important to me, and usually it's our money, if I give what's important to me, and usually it's my time, if I give what's important to me, usually it's my health, my good years, if I give that to the Lord, he'll take care of me, give me more health, give me enough money to keep giving, give me enough time so that I can take care of all the things that need. But you see, if I'm stingy with my time and I give God the leftovers, guess what God gives me? Ouch. You ever notice that God goes quiet on us? I wonder if it's because we've been quiet on him. Because every time I'm asking God something, the Lord says, when was the last time you did what I asked you to do, Redbird? Now, you start giving of, of yourself. Give and it shall be given unto you. Now, if you tithe, if you give, God promises he'll make it up to you. And especially, God's going to take care of you. I think he'll take care of you better, better than you've ever imagined. You say, well, I lost my job. You know, that may be the best thing that ever happened to you. I, was, I, watched, uh, I saw a little blurb this morning that says, we pray for all the wrong things. When was the last time you, you not only pray for blessings, when was the last time you prayed for brokenness? Boy, that hurt. See, I always want the blessings. The Lord says, I've got to break you now. You've been blessed enough, led better. We've got to change you. Blessings don't change us, do they? does it? But when we're broken, when we hit the end of the line, when we, when we hit the bottom, God can work on us. So think, start thanking God for even the bottoms because God's taking care of it. Now, how does that apply to us? Here we are. We're 2,000 years later. We're supposed to be examples. We are supposed to be examples. We're not supposed to just preach the gospel, but as Christians, we're supposed to live it. Does anybody around you notice the way you live? Do they even think it's better than the way they live? Do they look at you and go, what a sour lemon? What one pitiful guy. Or do they go, nothing pulls that guy down. I don't know if you've noticed, but chapter 4 of Philippians is how this church operates. We do the unusual things. We do the hard things. We preach. We teach. We conduct men's camps and youth camps and Bible clubs. We help start churches. We help as many churches as we can. We care about churches in the craziest of places. And we do it all without a regular income. I mean, I've been to the bank a couple of times now, almost a dozen times, talking to them and everything. We were looking for mortgage and stuff like that. And they look at our, they look at our bank statement and they go, and how do you make money? <laughs> And if I told them how we really did it, I'd be out the door. I can't guarantee that next week we're going to have a penny coming in. Amen? Do you understand? We, we do things differently. We do things the hard way without any guarantee. I mean, we just, Tony, you know why Tony doesn't have any hair? Because he works with me. I'll say, all right, we're going to have a men's camp. It's probably going to cost about whatever. And Tony says, where are we going to get the money? I go, it always comes in, doesn't it? It just comes in. But we're biting our nails, man. Youth camp comes up. Bible club comes up. 
We just start buying stuff, putting stuff together, and we get through. We're like no other business you've ever been involved in. <laughs> Nobody would be able to run a business like we do because God's in charge. See, we're supposed to be an example. The world says, oh, you've got to have a business plan. You've got to have this type of, of bank. Uh, um, what's that where you have the, um, you know, you can go into debt. What's that thing called? Yeah, not a bankrupt, sorry, no. <laughs> but where you have a, a running debt. What's it called? Overdraft. You're supposed to have so much in overdraft. You've got to have all of these, these um, uh, backups and, and all of these um, uh, 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 co-signers and all this stuff. We do it by faith. Amen? And it's hard. But we're supposed to be the example to the world of what it means to live by faith. We don't do it by sight. We don't look in and, and figure all this stuff out. So let's not be like the Corinthian, like the Philippian Christians. Let's not be inconsistent. Let's start getting excited and passionate about church. Let's start saying, you know what? Pastor probably is worried that I'm not there yet. I gotta get to church early. Amen. Start start saying, kids, we haven't read the Bible together in months. We're going to get our family right so I don't lose you. I want to, I don't want to be an inconsistent Christian anymore. Let's get consistent. Let's say, you know what? Every time my boss is faithful to give me, who am I to stop being faithful to giving to God? Amen. You'd be upset with your boss if he gave you, gave to you as much as you're faithful or unfaithful giving to God. Amen. Let's not be inconsistent. Now let me just show you. I'll talk about it tonight, but some of you don't realize what it costs to do what we do. You ready? Shazam. Honestly, we do a lot of stuff and it costs money. Just the rent. I want to show you something. You see this number right here? 484 euros and 73 cents. It costs us per week just to meet. Just to rent the the uh, the activity center, and the meeting here for six hours a week. Folks, it costs a lot. That's 23% of all the money we spend goes to rent. We've got one staff member, and he's paid pitiful. And he does it joyfully, thankfully, because he's helping me so I can help more people. All the ministries we do, whether it's Sunday school, are you, the teens, the discipleship, your dinners, when we have our church dinners, <laughs> Bible clubs, youth camp, men's camp, 18000 a year. Our office, all of the expenses that go in, that's printing and, and uh, uh, the, the, uh, the heating and the electricity, um, uh, on and on and on. The fact that, now this last year, we supported eight missionaries, uh, dropped down to seven, now we're back up to nine. But that costs 8,000 euros. That's 158 a week. You know, just to have, just to put John on staff and to pay him legally, we could pay him under the table. Remember those days? We're not going to do that. Just to have staff means we have to pay tax. We have to pay the government to pay John. The church bus, the accountant. Oh, I hate accountants. I'm looking at uh, Charles back there. Anyway, advertising, all miscellaneous. Folks, don't think that this is all just, why well, we just go and it's all for free. Pastor spends Saturday studying and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he's partying. 
Nope. We earn every penny of that. We work our tails off using every penny that you give. I just want you to see that's what we do, and that's just some of it. And don't forget about our nine missionaries. How do we how do we end up helping those people stay in all the different places? Preaching the gospel for free there. How do we do that? By giving. By making sure, you know what, Lord? You sent a missionary to Ireland. You sent a missionary to my door. You sent somebody who believed the Bible, loved Jesus Christ, gave me a, the hope of one name, the name of Jesus Christ. Taught me how to how to how to get saved and how to live for God. I want to make sure there are more missionaries going. I'm going to make sure I give so that more missionaries, starting with these nine, so the missionaries stay faithful on the field. They need our money. Amen. How does this apply to us? I've already said we're supposed to, as a church, be an example to the world. The world needs to look at us and not be able to figure us out and just say, wow. That's all they can say. Don't be inconsistent like the Philippians. And I won't blame you for it. Say, Pastor, are you watching my tithing? Not at all. Don't know anything of anybody, what anybody gives, except what I give. And if you forget, if you, if you miss out, if you get angry, I'm not giving anymore. You know what I'm going to think? You're having a bad day. Amen. I'm not going to come and haunt you. I should. Amen? No. <laughs> I won't blame you if you forget. Paul didn't blame the, the, the Philippians, didn't get bitter at them. God is teaching us to be content. Are you content with what we have? Not one of you said amen. Amen. Are we content? Look at where we're at. It's warm. It's dry. We're seeking pretty comfortable. Amen. We get to do almost anything we want. It costs a lot. I'd like to have our own building, but you know what? If we never move, I think we're pretty blessed. Amen. Let's follow the life of the Lord Jesus. Let's follow the life of the Lord Jesus. What a... If we could just get to the point where we say we can do all things through Christ, which continuously, constantly strengthens us. I'm just glad for the care of the Christians of this church. I've seen, I've seen some of you transform in your lives. You want to save your home? You want to save your marriage? Let God teach you how to give. How to let go. How to get poor so somebody else gets blessed. You know how a husband and wife get along better? They give to each other. No more taken. Just be a blessing. Just honor one another. Just bless one another. Just give to one another. Edify one another at, at great cost. Get your wife back. Make your giving a sacrifice to God. Say, Lord, every time I give in that box, you're not giving to Pastor Craig. You're not giving to Brother Dan or Andrew. Or not one of us get a penny of that. You know where it's going? It's going to God. Lord, I pray this pleases you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, and the giving of my hands be acceptable in thy sight. Make it a sacrifice to God. It probably will be a sacrifice. I'm not going to say partly. There's probably three of you who don't have a qualm on, on being able to put 50 euros in the offering. You can say, I can put two in. Amen. The rest of us is like, how am I going to get through? It's a sacrifice. You know what? God takes care of givers. Amen.
Father. We're a church. I pray you'll wake us up to that. And you're very gracious, you're very kind. Because we forget about a lot of responsibilities that we have. We forget about doing the things we should do. And, and you just wait. Lord, you're teaching us all to learn to be content. But if we would learn to be content, I pray that it would be with the purpose of so that we would have extra. We don't have to, our, as a church, don't have to have so much if we can be a blessing. If we could find another church that's struggling or another missionary, we could find a family or a home that's struggling. We could just take what we had thought would be for us and we would just give it to them. What a, what a great church that would be. Lord, you're going to have to grip our hearts right now. We just barely glanced at the life of Jesus Christ, the greatest life ever lived. We've looked at the life of Paul, who tried so well to follow the greatest giver ever. I pray that we would seek ourselves, desire ourselves to do like Philippians 4, 9 says. Things that you've seen and heard in me, do. Lord, I pray that you would put such joy in our lives. We, as we do it by faith. I pray, God. Lord, it's not going to work with anybody in this room who's not saved. They never received the gift of God, which is eternal life. There's people in this room who are holding on to money because it's their only hope. I pray they let go. I pray they look unto Jesus Christ and they cry out to Him right now and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. Let every Christian in this room desire that you would change our hearts. We will learn to be content, but we desire to be givers. In Jesus' name, amen.